Wouldn't it be great if you could earn the CEUs you need by listening to a podcast? Well, now you can. We have partnered with speechpathology.com to offer CEUs on select autism outreach podcasts like this one. Just head over to speechpathology.com and sign up to enjoy unlimited access for a full year for $99. That's unlimited 24-7 access to hundreds of online courses offered for ASHA CEUs, including live webinars, on-demand videos, audio, and text courses, plus select autism outreach podcasts for just $99 a year. Finally, earning CEUs is as easy and stress-free as listening to your favorite podcast. Just visit speechpathology.com and use promo code AUTISM at checkout. That's speechpathology.com, promo code AUTISM to get started today. I'll never forget a preschool age student that I was working with. I had attempted to administer a standardized test and the student, you know, just didn't want to hang out with me, was not engaged. And I left that evaluation feeling very much like my intervention plan was a mystery. What do I work on? I'm overwhelmed. I'm not sure how to help this student start communicating, how to engage with me, how to build a rapport. And today on episode 73 of the Autism Outreach Podcast, I am going to be breaking down foundational skills that we should work on for young autistic learners. So if you have students that you're helping to serve who are toddlers, preschool age students, early elementary, this is going to be a great episode for you. If you have students who you feel overwhelmed with where to start, they're not yet speaking, they don't have a way to communicate with the world yet, and you want to help your students find their voice and how they can start communicating today. You are going to want to tune on in and listen to this one till the end because I'm talking about our top eight foundational skills to support young autistic learners. You're listening to Autism Outreach Podcast, a podcast full of ready-to-use strategies to help those with autism strengthen their communication skills. Here's your host, Rose Griffin of ABA Speech, a speech therapist and board-certified behavior analyst who shares tips you can use in your next therapy session. Today on the show, we're talking all about foundational skills for young autistic learners. So where do we start in therapy? I think this can be the hardest thing to know. Today's a solo show. I'm breaking it down for you. All my experience working with autistic learners and working with younger students. And how do we know where to start an intervention? It can be really tough and it can be really overwhelming because sometimes when we do an assessment, we're not able to get a great snapshot of that student's language level. Or sometimes standardized tests don't tell the story of the child. I love that. That's my new catchphrase. I had Shelly Bader, a really amazing SLP from California on the podcast. And she used that line, the story of the child. And I think that's so true. And I know starting out as a speech therapist, I really struggled with 
you know, the student wouldn't attend to any of the evaluation tasks. So, you know, I tried to give them the PLS, the standardized test didn't work. They wouldn't sit at the table or, you know, they wouldn't engage with the activities as, as per the manual. Um, and what do I do? Where do I go? What do I work on? So I have talked about autism assessment before and touched on it a little most recently in episode 71. But some of my very favorite tools to get that assessment piece are the VB map, the functional communication profile revised, and you know, informal. Informal measures, I think, are very important too. I know in Start Communicating Today, my uh, ASHA-approved autism course for younger students, I have an informal measure that I've created over time. I am licensed in Washington State and have been providing some teletherapy for students who are preschool age. And so oftentimes we do a VB map and then we also supplement it with this informal uh, measure. And that gives me really good information that helps inform my goal setting and helps inform my therapy. So what I'm going to do today is I'm going to discuss eight foundational skills to consider when you're working with autistic learners. And I discussed these and start communicating today. They are definitely a framework that I use, and it's all going to be individualized for your student or your own child as well. So these are things I just want to talk through. And when you're goal setting for your students, you're going to use your assessment, you're going to do an observation, you're going to use your clinical expertise. And these are areas that can really help our students find their voice and can help them start communicating today. So the first area that I want to discuss is joint attention. Joint attention is so important. I can't talk about it enough. It is all about connection before communication. Now here at ABA Speech, my private practice, I see just a handful of clients all within about a five to 10 minute radius of my home. Okay, that's all I have time for, therapy-wise. But I provide a lot of parent coaching for the students that I see. Because often the times the students that I see in my private practice, they are autistic and they are younger. And so parents are really wanting to support their students' communication. So, you know, if they're not yet speaking, they want them to start talking. If they're not yet speaking in sentences or, you know, longer phrases, they're worried about that. Um, And this is just their experience. I'm just talking about students I'm working with now. So I really do a lot of parent coaching about the power of joint attention and this power we have when we have these shared activities. And so when I'm talking with parents, I take out the jargon terms. I don't even, I might say it's called joint attention. I have some parents who are extremely savvy and and gung-ho and they're in all the jargon um, and some that aren't. So I don't want them to feel defensive or, or unsure when I use those types of words. So I talk about this as shared activities because I know that if I'm building a rapport with my student, with my client, that we're going to have a great time together, that we're going to have moments where we can engage in these activities and it's going to be fun. And there's going to be more spontaneous communication that's taking place. That is the truth and what I've seen in, in my students, which is so exciting. I just love it. I have a student that I work with now. 
that I've worked with for about a year. And when I used to go over, he wouldn't even come to the door. You know, when I was coming over, he was like, okay, you know, whatever, <laughs> bring your stuff in. Um, but now when I come over, he greets me at the door. He says in his cute voice, hi, Miss Rose. It's just adorable. He wants to spend time with me. He is spontaneously communicating. And that was not the case when I first started working with this learner. So those types of stories really light me up inside and get me excited to share this information with you because you know, I've been there. I remember working with a student when I was first starting in the field and I was seeing him for outpatient therapy and he didn't want to come back to the therapy room. He was younger. He, once he got back there, he wasn't really excited about the, the lessons I had planned. And I just felt defeated, to be honest. And, you know, there wasn't podcasts back then. There weren't, you know, online webinars and all the things. It was like, grab a textbook. And I didn't have a whole lot of people giving me good information. So I like to help people, you know. So I just had to go out there, blaze the trail and uh, learn all that I could and then come and share it with you. So I hope it helps inform your therapy and helps you in your therapy sessions too. So joint attention is really important. And this is going to be a shared activity where I'm engaging the activity, my client is engaging the activity, and we both know that we're doing that together. I love to work on this through literacy, music, and play. So when I'm working on literacy, I have some favorite books. I'm going to tell you what they are, and then I'll tell you how I use them. I love Pete the Cat, the original, all about the white shoes, best book ever. I love Chicka Chicka Boom Boom. Inside cover has the alphabet on it. I have a lot of students that love and adore the alphabet. And so before I read that book, I start with singing a little song. I'm not going to... Well, I might sing a little today. Sorry, I apologize. You might want to turn that volume down. So with Chicka Chicka Boom Boom, I say A, B, C, D, E, F. And I might do an expectant pause if my student is able to fill in some of those blanks. I love Brown Bear, Brown Bear. Wonderful book. And one of my newer favorites is called Goodnight Gorilla. That's not a newer book. It's just newer to my rotation in my therapy room. And it's just the cutest little book. This gorilla gets all these animals out of the zoo and they go to the, the zookeeper's house and they fall asleep. And then she wakes up and walks them back. It's really cute. And there's not a lot of text on there. So you can kind of make your own story. So literacy, the thing I love about literacy is you can pick a book or let your kid pick a book, You know, give them a choice or have a book bin, however you have it set up. But sometimes I just bring a book and you know, I'll start reading it. Oh my goodness, today we're going to read Pete the Cat. I love Pete the Cat. That's kind of how I talk in therapy. I'm probably more exuberant. Um, if your kids like that, I would say 99% of my clients like that. I did have a student once who didn't like anything like that. So I just kept it super low key. You got to read the room, right? Got to know your kids. So, you know, with Pete the Cat, what I try to coach parents on and to understand is, you know, I can't make a student engage. Join attention is something that we do on our own because we're motivated to engage. I mean, we want to. So if you read that Pete the Cat book and the first time you try that with a student, they're only with you for 30 seconds, just note it down on your data sheet and try that book next session. You know, maybe the kid's with you for a minute the next time. Maybe they are with you for a minute, then they run away from the table to kind of look at something else and maybe they come back because you're making that literacy activity super engaging for whatever that means for the client. So for that, for me, it means using an exuberant voice, being animated. With Pete the cat, he steps in all these different colors. 
And, you know, one of the lines on the book is, oh, no, kids usually like that. Let's say that I started reading the book, the students with me, they get up, they kind of go wander away from the table. And then I get to a page where it says, oh, no, a lot of students are going to come back and be like, what happened? (laughs) You know, they may not say that, right? Because they may not have the language for that. Um, But they're wondering, they're curious. And so you want to build it. It's like a little dance. You know, speech therapy is really a science and it's really an art form too, that I feel like, uh, you know, if I look back at some of my sessions when I was in graduate school and working in a group or working with a student with complex needs, I, I feel I've gotten a lot better in the past 20 years. That's why I like to share these little strategies. So some things to think about. I also love to work on joint attention with music. Music is great. Some of my favorite songs to use in therapy are The Wheels on the Bus, Old MacDonald Had a Farm, You're Happy and You Know It, and Five Little Monkeys. I love The Wheels on the Bus because there's motions. And I just love that because we can also be working on imitation too. I have created... Um, And just through Google Images right now, I don't have them available in my TPT store, but it's definitely on my radar um, to create. And I probably will do that in the future. But having some visuals that are Velcroed that students can manipulate for either wheels on the bus. I have one for Old McDonald Had a Farm. It's kind of nice because if you have all the animals out, maybe your student picks an animal for the farm, maybe picks the cow, he puts it on the, the Velcro patch, and then you guys sing. And so that music can look like a lot of things, just like the first example. You know, you start singing, and um, one of the students I work with now, when I first started, I would bring out old McDonald had a farm, and I have a visual that I just made through Google Images, and there is Velcro on it, which I'm not a big fan of Velcro, but my preschool age students do love. They love the Velcro, so we do it. And they weren't real interested in it. And so we did it for a while, and they really wouldn't kind of fill in the blank for the sounds or anything. They put a couple of the pictures on the Velcro patches. And I brought it back like maybe three or four months later because the student has had such a uh, an explosion in their language. And so now the student is filling in the blank for some of the animal sounds. They're doing all the Velcro on them themselves. And it's really been cool to see that growth. So um, Five Little Monkeys, what we do for that one, I've been doing that song with a, um, an ABA provider up in Washington State. I'm licensed in, in Washington State. And so what we've been doing is they, we have Five Little Monkeys. I sing it. And so they have little monkey manipulables that go along with this song. And so what we do is we start with one little monkey jumping on the bed and then we kind of build up. And then at the end, the student has five little monkeys. So I think the song might start with five and go down to one, but we do it the other way because we would never want to take away a toy from from a child. So we start with one little monkey jumping on the bed and then we kind of go up. And every time I sing two, three, four then they're getting all the little monkeys and then they just play with them after the song. So that's super fun way to engage. Another way we can work on joint attention is through play. Love play. Different toys that I like to use in therapy are cars and a car track, a farm toy with farm animals. I also have this little dog that you just pull on a leash. That's really fun. It makes a little noise. Bubbles, big fan, big fan of bubbles. And baby dolls. There's so many fun things that we can do with baby dolls. Um, And that would be working on a bit of joint attention and and also imitation, which I'm going to talk about next, but some play play situations. Another um, form of play that I do with some of my younger kids, Modified Connect 4. So I think I have a video of this. I don't think I put it on my YouTube. I think it was a TikTok, but Modified Connect 4 
is where you just pick a color. The student picks red or or, um, yellow, and then you take turns putting the pieces in. So we're not strategizing to get four in a row. We're just taking turns. Um, Another thing that I don't do that I just have to call out as a pet peeve of mine is making students say, my turn, your turn. I never make students do that. I don't prompt that language. If it happens on its own, I think that's totally fine. But most typical language learners don't really say those types of things. So I wouldn't want to promote that for my own kids. It's more about just the social reciprocity of doing it together. Another game I love is Modified Uno, where we take out some of those special cards. We're just matching the colors. I love Modified Memory. How I modify that game is I just uh, pick out all the... the, I do just a handful of cards. Maybe we're doing like 10 to 12 matches based on your learner. And I get that all ready before the session. So I just have the matches. And I turn some of the cards up so that we're just matching and we're playing together. So it takes out a lot of the annoyance, I think, of memory because I love memory. It's a great game. But if you played it like you're supposed to play it, it would take you like 45 minutes. <laughs> and I don't know many kids in preschool that have that kind of bandwidth. I mean, I don't either. And oh, the last one I wanted to tell you for play is Modified Simon Says. I adore Modified Simon Says. I just did it yesterday in teletherapy with a student. And how we modify Simon Says is it's always Simon Says. Simon says, touch your nose. Simon says, jog in place. And the student does it. It was really cute when I was playing it yesterday um, with an autistic student who's preschool age. The first direction, it was the first time we ever played it. He wasn't having it. He was like, no, I don't want to play. So I did one more direction and then he was like having fun and we played it for a couple minutes. And then this student is, is verbalizing. And so I said, do you want to do the last direction? And he told me the last direction, what to do. So it was so cute. He became the leader and he loved it. So those are all ways we can work on joint attention, which is that foundational skill. So through literacy, music, and play. Imitation is another foundational skill that's so very important. We can play on, work on this during play. I think it's fine. You know, some ABA providers may be working on this at the table and that's fine, but there is a more functional and a more fun, to be quite frank, way to work on imitation. We can do it through play. I think what's important here to think about is making sure that we have similar items. So I use my kids' old toys for (laughs) for imitation and for all my therapy needs um, because my own three kids are getting kind of old for toys. And so my husband keeps wanting to clean all that stuff out. And I'm like, no, this is my my therapy area. So one example is, you know, we were talking about the babies, which is kind of play joint attention, but we can also work on imitation. So you could each have a baby doll. You could each have a baba, like a bottle. And so, you know, I have the baby. Here's my baby. Oh, baby's hungry. I feed baby. Oh, so good. And I give the baby the baba. So my student is also going to have these similar items. Okay, they don't have to be exactly the same, but they could be similar. Um, We give the baby a bottle. We burp the baby. These are all things. I do it first. The student does it after me. Um, I put the baby in a little crib. I'm not sure how, but I have a little crib. My mother-in-law buys like really fun toys. So I have a little crib for the baby. And then we put a blanket over the baby. So my student is going to have similar items. And then I do it, they do it. I do it, they do it. And that's a fun way to work on imitation, okay? So if you're in an ABA program and they're working on imitation at a table, okay, and that's, you know, do this one, clapping, do this one, put your hands up. That's okay, right? They're learning how to imitate. We as a speech-language pathologist, if you're listening in that way, we can also work on it during play. 
and we can make it more natural environment. And, and then we're working on embedding that foundational skill across that learner's day, which is cool. Another foundational skill is requesting. Requesting is so powerful. I actually just got off my phone, Instagram. Hello. I love the social media sometimes. And I had about 2,000 people watch a, an Instagram story. Um, that's a lot of people to watch my Instagram story. And I was just talking about first words, what I work on. Um, and I was saying, this is my clinical expertise in my opinion. So you know, I don't work on more. I don't work on thank you. And I don't work on please as first signs or first words. I work on words that are more meaningful and more specific for my student. And that ties into requesting. I used to have a talk that I, I did a couple of years ago. You might've even listened to it. If you're listening to this on speechpathology.com, it was called The Power of Manding. And that was just one of the lessons that I covered in this particular talk. But it just means that it's showing the student that their communication is powerful. You know, if I really want to take a walk and I sign walk and we go on a walk, if I really want to listen to music, I sign music or I press music on my device or I say music and we listen to music. That type of requesting that is specific is going to let our students know I do something, I get something. I do something, I get something. And that creates this loop and really empowerment for our students that they can navigate their day by telling us what they want, you know, or what they don't want too is super important. So requesting, another really important foundational skill. All right, matching. Oh yeah, matching is very, very important. I have a favorite type of matching activity that actually I purchased at Lakeshore Learning. And it is something called like language lotto or something like that. I don't have it right in my site, so I can't remember. You can always contact me through my website, abaspeech.org, if you want to know the exact thing. So it was kind of expensive, a little bit of a splurge, but I had a particular student. I had used it back in Austin, Texas when I was working down there in Leander ISD. Yay. Hook them horns. And I had this student. I knew this was going to be perfect for the student because the student was ready to work on matching. So they they had... Part of their session was a little more free flow, a little more unstructured. And then part of their session is a little structured. This is a preschool age student. So I'd say if I do a 45-minute session, which is what I do at ABA Speech, um, about 35 minutes are more play-based and 10 minutes are more structured. So I had the idea to work on matching. So what it was is a really nice card that's kind of laminated and has different pictures by category. So there's one that is ocean animals, and it has an octopus and a dolphin and a shark, et cetera, et cetera. Then what's super fun is that it also has mini objects, which if you haven't dipped a toe in mini objects, you know, what are you waiting for? Uh, mini objects are super fun. It's just like an object, but it's mini. And I don't know why, but I enjoy that. And my kids really love that too. So for this particular activity, and I've seen it done with other you know, resources, you don't have to have this item from Lakeshore, but you take the mini object and then you match it to the real life picture. Okay. And so this is a really fun way to work on matching. And there's so many great skills that come with matching. You know, maybe I set out at first just one object for the student. Maybe I set out, we're doing the ocean animals. And there's, I think there's like six to eight pictures of animals. So maybe at first I just give the student 
one octopus and he has to scan all eight of those pictures and he matches it to the correct one. I mean, wow, that's a lot of skills we're working on right there. Scanning, engagement, matching. Yay. Love that. As the student is able to do these things more independently, you know, maybe I'm putting two sea creatures out there and then they're matching them. And the thing with matching that I like to just, as an aside, say is, you know, when I hand that student that mini object and they're matching it to the picture, I always say match and then whatever that item is. So match octopus. Can you match dolphin? Things like that. I don't just say match. I like to say the name of the item. I think that is going to help our students with vocabulary. I think it's a good measure. Okay. So sometimes we might get into this depending on where you're working and what setting, um, where we kind of, one of my other pet peeves is kind of like using a therapy voice. I don't know why, but sometimes when we're doing instruction at the table, sometimes people use a therapy voice. So a therapy voice might sound like this, match octopus, match dolphin. And I don't know why this is, and it's, it's just purely my opinion, but sometimes people talk like that when we're working at a structured task. So I always just try to talk to my kids like, you know, casual, just like I'm talking to my own children. Um, So I may say, oh, octopus, can you match the octopus? Can you match the dolphin? Things like that. So thinking about saying that word too, I think that's really important. Okay. Another foundational skill that we touched on a bit is play. Play is really important. Play, play routines, leisure skills, um, some that I didn't talk about. I love using a shape sorter. That can be really fun for students. I have um, a little egg activity, which is just, and I have this video on my Instagram uh, reels, which are just short form videos, but my own children had a really cute game that were eggs. And inside the egg, some were like a little animal and some were like a little card. And so I would say, and what I did was being the resourceful speech therapist that I am, I'd like to buy eggs in a set of six, okay? Because I don't want that (laughs) pressure (laughs) in my life to like make cookies or like use all the eggs. So I have these cute little egg cartons of just six. So I repurposed the egg carton. I, when we were done in my home with the eggs, I used the egg carton and I put these little eggs from my daughter's game. And you could do this with Easter eggs, right? Or anything you have laying around. But I had the little eggs and there were little uh, animals inside and there were little pictures inside. And so I would play with the students. We would open it up. I would say, okay, ready, set, go. That kind of gets to filling in the blank, which is another skill we're going to talk about in a sec. But you can open it up. You can show the student, wow, yellow dog. There were just like little fun little cards in there. It's a cat, you know, whatever your student's language level is, but you know, that type of play is fun. They might want to open an egg themselves and we're just kind of playing together. Um, very, very fun. Okay. On to the next following one step directions. This is so important and functional for home and school environment. Just from a parental side of things, um, you know, when our students are able to kind of navigate in the home environment, some of those things that their parents are just doing in everyday family routines, like, hey, can you get your coat? Okay, we're going to go bye-byes now. Can you stand by the door? These are just things I say to my own kids, you know, when they were little. But I always think about these foundational skills because I want to think about my students outside of the therapy session, right? Most of their life is lived outside of the therapy session. So I'm always thinking to myself and I'm always constantly analyzing why 
am I teaching this? How is this going to help my student develop a way to communicate with the world? How is this going to help my student independently communicate across their day? So when they're with me, when they're in the home environment, if they're in preschool, when they go to grandma and grandpa's. And so I'm constantly analyzing my instruction and why I'm working on things, which is really cool about one-step directions because you can definitely work on something in therapy that's going to generalize to the home environment. And if you're school-based, you might be writing these specifically in a progress report. If you are working in the home, you know, maybe you're able to talk with the parent and say like, you know, is your child having trouble understanding language and what would be helpful across environments and choosing targets that way. All right. Labeling. Labeling. It's important. We want to be able to talk about things that are in our environment. And for people that say that, you know, it's really not important. We shouldn't work on labeling. It definitely is a foundational skill. We want our students to feel comfortable talking about things that are happening in their environment. Now, I do think it's important that we think about how we're analyzing this in treatment. So, you know, if I have a two and a half year old, am I using a flashcard? I'm not. Okay. I'm using this during play. Um, I had a student that I was seeing in the home, an autistic learner, toddler, and we were playing with some Peppa the Pig, which is a cartoon, uh, toys. And this student was kind of limited in what they were saying. And Peppa Pig had a little crown on her head. And my student touched the crown and said, crown. I was like, oh my goodness, wowza. He said, crown, how cool. Would I have been able to gather that from a flashcard? I wouldn't, okay? So we really need to think about how is it appropriate for us to be working on this with our students based on their chronological age. You know, if I'm working with a 12th grader and they're in a vocational placement, like I had a student that was working with pets and they were helping, he was working on labeling collar because he was helping out with the dogs or the cats. And that was totally functional for that student because that was their environment. And that was something that was important for their vocation and for them to be able to talk about in their daily work. But with younger learners, we want to think about, you know, is it important for us to work on this through play? I always put on my data sheet just as an aside for students who are not yet speaking or developing their voice. I have a little section that says spontaneous communication and I jot down what the learner is saying. Now, this is assuming, and I should say that too, that when I'm working with younger students who have higher support needs, who are not yet communicating on their own, I am afforded the opportunity to see them either one-on-one or one-to-two and typically with a staff member present if it's one-to-two. So that may not be your reality right now, but I wanted to to qualify that because I know sometimes our schedules get really packed and we're not always able to serve the kids um, in this type of way. So I just, I wanted to say that because some of the things I'm talking about today are from my private practice, ABA speech, but I am a school-based therapist too. So I understand um, scheduling and, and how that can be difficult. So for labeling too, I think about working on it through play. If your student is younger, I think about first labeling targets should be really preferred items. So if my student, I had a student that loved Daniel the tiger. And so that's what we worked on. We worked on Daniel and we worked on things the student loved, cookie, you know, and people. You know, I had a student that was using an AAC device. He was 10 and had a beautiful device when I met him in a non-public program, but he couldn't use it. He didn't use it functionally. But when that student got to the point where he was working on labeling, 
we worked on labeling family members because he really loved his family and uh, that was fun for him. Then we work on actions. Then we work on phrase construction and sentence creation too. So, you know, I started my whole business because I created the action builder cards, which have multiple exemplars of functional actions. And it's really great because you can, and if you don't have those, using Google images too. Thinking about if we are using flashcards, if we have older students or our students are ready to learn in that way, that if we're working on labeling, let's say basketball, just as an example, that we wouldn't just have one picture of a basketball, that we would have multiple pictures. Because when we have multiple pictures, it helps our students plan for generalization. So that when they see that basketball in therapy, sure, they can say basketball. And then when you go to the gym or it's outside recess, they can see that basketball and also label basketball. And so we know autistic learners do have difficulty with that generalization piece at times. And so this is a way that we can help them build that bridge. All right. The last foundational skill is filling in the blanks. I think one of the classics is ready, set, expectant, pause, go. And you can use that for bubbles. You could use that for the egg activity. When I'm reading Chicka Chicka Boom Boom and I am reading the front cover, A, B, C, I wait. Some of my kids can say D. Okay, because those filling in the blanks start with, I say something, you say something, I say something, you say something. And that is really going to be the foundation for more language skills to answering questions. What's your name? When's your birthday? Right? Personal safety gets into answering more uh, comprehension questions, gets into being a foundation for conversation back and forth. Social reciprocity all starts here. So the foundational skills I urge you to think about for your young autistic learners, join attention, imitation, requesting, matching, play, following one-step directions, labeling, and filling in the blanks. It's been great spending time with you today. Make sure that you reach out to me abaspeech.org if you have any questions. And until next time, remember to keep things fun and functional. Thanks for listening to Autism Outreach. If you enjoyed the show today, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode full of actionable strategies you can use in your therapy room. Write a review too. That would mean so much to me. I always love hearing from you. Have a specific topic that you want included on a future show? Reach out over on Instagram, ABA Speech by Rose, or visit me at www.abaspeech.org.